Your Excellency, Archbishop McGuckin, Your Honor Mary Aliotto, Dr. MacArthur, Father, sisters, and all distinguished friends. I want to thank you, Mr. Bakari, for that brief introduction. Generally, I am introduced at such length, I wonder if I'm the next speaker. <laughs> I am reminded of Judge Dunn in Brooklyn, who was presiding at a case when there was a particularly stupid witness on the stand. Not that all stupid witnesses come from Brooklyn, but this one was. And uh, the prosecuting attorney said, were you at the corner of 4th and Elm the day of the accident? Who, me? Yes, you. Did you notice whether or not the woman was seriously injured? Who, me? Yes, you. Did you notice whether or not the ambulance came to care for the wounded woman? Who, me? Well, by that time, the prosecuting attorney was exasperated. He said, certainly you. Why do you think you're here? He said, I'm here to see justice done. Judge Dunn says, who, me? <laughs> and I was asked to say a few kind words about education. Every time I'm asked to say a few kind words about education, I recall going into the Grand Central Station one morning for breakfast, and I said to the waitress, I want a cup of coffee, a boiled egg, some toast, and a few kind words. And she brought me the coffee, the toast, the egg, and the check. I said, don't you have a few kind words? She said, don't eat the egg. a taxi driver not very long ago in New York who said them I never had an education I never went beyond the third grade but I pick up educated people and I learn a lot of big words and from that time on he proceeded to use only polysyllables and all out of context. When I finally left the cab, he said, I love to hear you on television. You have such a wonderful voice. It has so much animosity in it. <laughs> well, you're a very kind audience. Evidently, I won't run up against anyone like I did not very long ago in a university audience, someone heckled me and said, how was Joni in the belly of the whale for three days? I said, I really don't know. But I said, when I get to heaven, I will ask Jonah. He said, suppose Joni isn't there. I said, then you ask him. I would go anywhere in the United States to talk about the necessity of a new kind of Catholic college. 
Believe me, if there's anything that's needed in our country at the present time, it is that. We have to re-examine our whole mission. One of the reasons, I believe, why we have been failing lately is because since the Vatican Council, we went into the world and the world also came into the church. This has created a tremendous problem as to how the church is related to the world. The answer is quite clear in the Gospels. But we have not altogether followed it. The first word of our Lord's public life was come. Come to me. Learn. Absorb. The last word of our Lord's public life was go. Go into the world. First, we become completely absorbed with him. Then we assume our mission. But today, or almost since the Vatican Council, we have a church that, that's made up only of gobos without any tom-toms. We're losing our faith and our fire and our zeal. The world, anyway, is made up of three classes of people, wise men, knaves and fools. Wise men mean to do what is right and do it. Knaves mean to do what is wrong and do it. And the fools would are willing to do either right or wrong depending upon which is the more popular. The white fools would rather do what is right than what is wrong, but they will do the wrong if it's popular. And the black fools would rather do the wrong, but they'll do right if it's popular. And so we've been following very much the world, and it is fitting then that we talk about the kind of education that we should have in the future. And I'm going to mention three basic ideas. They are derived in part, in great part, from the moods, the spirit, and the movements of our times. After all, when you have the violence, the drug addiction, the pornography, even the crudities of our modern times, it must be that the world is trying to tell us something. It may not know what is right, but it certainly knows what is wrong. And the very first suggestion that we have for the regeneration of Catholic College is the return to the will, to the will. We have been concerned principally with education, the training of the mind, 
but we have neglected almost entirely the training of the will. Why has the will been abandoned and why must we again take it up? Whenever we drop anything in the church, the world picks it up. When the nuns take off the long habits, they, the girls put on maxi skirts. When we drop our rosaries, the hippies put them around their necks. And when we began to drop discipline, the training of the will, the world picked it up. Why is our society violent today? Our blessed Lord commanded violence. The kingdom of heaven is won by violence. Only the violent will bear it away. In other words, that you have to charge the door. I've come not to bring peace but the sword. Just as soon as we dropped violence to self, the world began to pick it up. There was no longer discipline, no longer character training. No longer any kind of cutting away at the seven concupiscences inside of the soul. So the world picked it up and turned violence against neighbor, against institutions, against government, against all of our traditions. This is one of the reasons why we have violence in society. About the only place that discipline is left in our American life is at West Point, Annapolis, the American Air Force Academy, and the professional football field. And this is the seat of character, the will, is not the intellect. You see, even in our CCD training, we call it, Confraternity of Christian Doctrine, see how we emphasize the doctrine? Is that what our Lord said, doctrine? Our Lord said, if you do my will, you will know my doctrine. He didn't say, if you know my doctrine, you will do my will. And so I say that education, our Christian education, will have to begin to restore the training of the will and to reintroduce again into education some kind of discipline which is the foundation of Christian character. That is our first requirement of a reborn education. With permissiveness, we have the problem of identity. It's a great, it's a terrible tragedy that we should have Young men and women, 19, 20, even seminarians, 22 years of age, having problems with their own identity. Once upon a time, there was a fish on top of the Empire State Building, and the fish said, I wonder what I'm supposed to be doing up here. How do we know identity of anything? We know identity by boundaries, by limits. How do we know the identity of the state of California? By its boundaries. How do we know a baseball diamond? By its foul lines. Problems with their own identity. 
Once upon a time, there was a fish on top of the Empire State Building, and the fish said, I wonder what I'm supposed to be doing up here. How do we know identity of anything? We know identity by boundaries, by limits. How do we know the identity of the state of California? By its boundaries. How do we know a baseball diamond? By its foul lines. How do we know a basketball court? How do we know ourselves? By limits. By boundaries. And the more a man is drawn inside of himself by a kind of self-limitation, the more he begins to know really who he is. Our blessed Lord did not bring a cheap peace. As a matter of fact, God hates peace in those who are destined for war. That's why he said, I came to bring the sword. Not the sword that swings outward, like the sword that Peter used in the garden. When the best that he could do as a swordsman was to prove that he was an excellent fisherman by hacking off the ear of the servant of the high priest. The sword that the Lord brought was the sword that pierced inward against ourselves. This was the sword he brought. This is the essence of Christianity. And we're leaving it out of our schools. And by just simply training in doctrine and education, we are raising a lot of clever devils instead of stupid ones. So one discipline. The second, has to do with a strange phenomenon that's in our God is dead theology. This was merely a repetition of what Nietzsche said years ago. But Nietzsche said, why is God dead? Nietzsche said, because we killed him. Seated at the piano, playing it, which he could do well, he went mad, shouting against Christ, and was a raving maniac for 11 years. But in our present order of the present literature of the God is dead, we have men like Paul Van Buren saying, but we must have Jesus. He's not God. He's only a word symbol. So that there has begun to be a revival in the theater, in literature, even in pornographic literature, a great interest in Jesus, the word symbol, started in part by Paul Van Buren. So that, you read, it's all right for a boy and girl to sleep together anytime they want because this is Jesus' love. Your revolution is here in this state and in our own back east. Argue that all revolt, all revolution 
all destruction of property is justified by Jesus the revolutionist. There is no Jesus of history. He's only the word symbol. Now this is what's going on in the world. Now if we're going to have a new Catholic college, not only will we have to restore the will, the training of the will as well as the intellect, but I believe we will have to rediscover Christ. We are taking down his symbols of the crucifixion in classrooms. And as we dropped him, they picked up this Jesus, the word symbol. It is interesting that the former editor of Punch, Muggeridge, has written a book entitled Jesus Rediscovered. I believe that the Catholic education that will meet the crisis of our time and that will enlighten those who believe only in the word symbol will be one in which we will very closely combine philosophy and theology and not kept, keep them as separate as we've kept them for centuries. Because when we kept the two separate it began to be increasingly hard to get up to the second floor. And we will unite almost the East and the West by talking about Christ. Because in the Western world, man does everything and God does nothing. In the Eastern world, God does everything and man does nothing. Christ is the intersection of the two. And how will he be presented? Well, if we rediscover him as Muggeridge did, I think that we will present him almost in the light of, well, of the word transference, which is taken out of psychiatry. That in our education, we will speak of Christ in terms of physical transference, moral transference, mental transference. We will begin to see, first of all, physical transference. He was one, Matthew quotes it from Isaiah, who took upon himself all sicknesses and illnesses. Now we have no text to justify the fact that he was ever sick. But evidently he had such an empathy for the sick that he must have gone into temporary blindness whenever he cured the blind. He probably became as deaf as Beethoven when he cured the deaf man. And we know that the evangelist speaks of him as sighing and groaning, groaning. Here is a Christ who is not just the revolutionist, but who is 
taking on all of the ills of the world. This is the pattern for Christian living. Not only physical transference of pain, but also moral transference of guilt. Imagine a judge on a bench. He has a son before him who is guilty of murder. He sentences the son to death. That is justice. Then the judge steps down and says to his son, I will take that punishment on myself. That's the moral transference that Christ does for all of the guilt of mankind. And then thirdly, we will present him against all who are using the Jesus symbol. We will present him in mental transference. We have today a world of darkness. He took that darkness onto himself. We had to have somebody that would understand Sartre. Camus, Nietzsche, all the agnostics, all the skeptics, and all the people who have, who have lost their faith. And he felt, allowed all of these clouds to pass over himself in this mental transference of crying out, my God, my God, why? Why hast thou abandoned me? And there's a moment when God was almost an atheist when he asked to why, God asked to why of God. This is the Christ that has to be represented to the people today who have reduced him to a symbol. And this is our second mission. That was brought home to me very much about four or five years ago. I was in Beluba, Africa, visiting a leper colony. And I brought with me 500 silver crucifixes, about an inch and a half high. And I was going to give one to each leper. The first one who came up to me had his arm, left arm off of the elbow, and he held up the stump, and he had a rosary around the stump. And he held out his right hand to me. It was the most foul, fetid, noisome mass of corruption I ever saw. And I held the crucifix above it. And I dropped it. And it was swallowed up in that volcano of white leprosy. All of a sudden there were 501 lepers in that camp and I was the 501st because I'd taken that symbol of God's identification with man and refused to identify myself with someone who was a thousand times better than I was on the inside. And then the terrible thought came to me of what I had done, and I dug my fingers into his leprous hand and pulled it out, cross out, and then pressed it to his hand, and so on for the other 500 lepers. It was simply identification with humanity because someone else had identified himself with humanity. And this is the approach the new schools and education have to take instead of the sociological approach in which we are counting the number of people that drive through red traffic lights 
And because 51% drive through, we say driving through red traffic lights is moral. relationship to the past after all we are not to be adorers of the past Horace said that one of the marks of the old man was he was a laudator temporis acti he praised the things that had gone by Nevertheless, we have a memory. It is a terrible thing for any man to suffer from amnesia. And it's an awful thing for the human race to suffer from amnesia. There is a heritage. And the new college proposes to talk and develop that heritage. would tell all of the young people under 21 years of age, oh yes, one day our blessed Lord. He had spent the night on prayer and he gathered all of the apostles, called them to himself. And when he had finally named the 12 of them, they went off into a corner and huddled together. And do you know what they told one another? Don't trust him, he's over 30. And let me tell all of the young people who believe that the past has nothing to offer, that the church is past, that its morality is past, that virtue is past, that when they undress themselves tonight to look and see if they have a navel, and if they have, they're tied up to the past. Let them stop talking about the generation gap if they've got a belly button. This is their bond of the past, and we have a bond of the past. And it behooves us. In this day and age, to go back to the past, to make us wonder, what? what's going to happen to us all? I was reading in, in Newsweek this afternoon, if I can find it here. This is the only thing I'm going to read to you. The only reason I don't ever read speeches is because a bishop was once reading a speech and a woman said, Lord be to God, God if he can't remember it, how does he expect us to? <laughs> but history... History changes about every 500 years. You just take a quick glance back into history and you'll see that there's been a crisis every 500 years. Great crisis. And we're in the fourth period of the Christian history. Now this article in Newsweek, which is written by one of the senior, the general editor, 
Morgenstern. It's almost, it is two pages. I will just read one paragraph of it. The movies are on to something big. The end of the world. They have examined the matter previously, to be sure. Stanley Kubrick ended the world with rich humor and the Big Bang and Dr. Strangelove. Stanley Kramer ended it with a wheeze in On the Bench. On the beach never before, though, have the makers of movies been so absorbed with the details of impending apocalypse. Never before have the merchandisers of movies been so high on the commercial potential of extinction. We know as well as they do that things can't go on much longer as they're going in the prospect of a climax to the whole human drama has its own deadly fascination. The most downbeat of endings can be thrilling if the beat booms big enough. It doesn't take much to get with the spirit of the apocalypse these days. Even the Metropolitan Museum of Art has gotten into the act, a 1970 engagement calendar with 40 fantastical, fantastical paintings from 14th century apocalyptic manuscripts. The concern about the end of civilization. In the movies, T.S. Eliot, the world will end, not with a whimper, but with a bang. Look at the rapidity of wars, great wars that have changed the world in our modern history. The interval between the Napoleonic and the Franco-Prussian War was 55 years.